This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode World Con 2. Writing other cultures. <laughs> Fifteen minutes long. <laughs> because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. Ah, <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we have special guest star Lauren Bukis. Hello, Lauren. Thank you for sitting on the podcast with us. Sorry, we're so goofy. Uh, Lauren is a Campbell Award nominee. Um, has two novels out. The first one called Moxie Land and the second one called Zoo City. Um, and Dan says they're absolutely fantastic. So we're going to have him tell us about them in a little bit. But for right now, we're going to talk about writing other cultures. You suggested this podcast. Um, why, Lauren, did you suggest this podcast? What, what about it appeals to you? Because I, have, I did something quite contentious with Zoo City. I'm a white South African, and I wrote a protagonist who was a black South African. Okay. Which was I, was, I was quite freaked out. I was, I was worried that people would see that as a very bad thing and that how dare I, um, and how dare I speak for other, other cultures. How has the reaction actually been? You said you were worried about it. Has it did, you, did you get that reaction you were expecting? No, I didn't. I, I, I saw one blog post where someone was like, oh, there's this white South African chick and she's writing this thing uh, with a black protagonist. I'm not so sure about that. But since I've written the book, everyone has reacted very, very positively so far, and including a kind of the, the black literary community in South Africa. Well, that's excellent. Which is great, but I think, I think there are a number of reasons why there's been that kind of response, which we can get into. Yeah, well, let's, let's start getting into them. Um, how does one go about writing a culture that um, one is not a part of? What did you do first? Well, the first thing I did was live in South Africa, which helps quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm very much kind of immersed in it, if not from that specific race. I think, I think what, you know, writers write about other people all the time. Yeah. You know, we write about other genders. We write about other careers. We write about very dark, scary people like serial killers. We write about heroes, which are way beyond our capability, or certainly beyond mine. Um, and I think it's a matter of several factors. It's, it's about approaching it with integrity. It's about uh, doing it with authenticity. And it is about doing research. And I did a radio interview recently, and the woman ahead of me was, she was a poet, and she'd written this book about, uh, she'd just visited Amsterdam, and she'd written this book of poetry about sex workers in the red light district. And she wrote about how she got into their heads and what it felt like when the red light turned on for the first time and how this affected these women deep down number of sex workers she actually interviewed or even had a cup of coffee with zero mm. and that's just beyond the pale it's, it's not acceptable at all uh, Dan writing a sociopath how did you write a sociopath not well that's one? not really pertinent to this topic because it was all autobiographical <laughs> <laughs> You are sure you've been lying to us all this time. <laughs> um, Put I, down that knife. <laughs> just after we locked the back doors. <laughs> so, first ten people to something get to leave alive. Um, I, I started writing a sociopath. Honestly, that was not super hard for me, and this is—I I don't know why not. Um, because sociopaths are basically normal people that can't filter their emotions. And, and their thoughts as effectively as we can and can't perceive um, emotions from other people as effectively as we can. I say we in a very strategic manner in that sentence. Um, and so really it comes down to what Lauren was saying of doing research. Um, I, set the town, I, I set the book in a very small town in Midwest America and I live in Utah and so everyone who's not from Utah assumes I live in a very small town anyway. 
Uh, but I had to do a lot of research there. You know, what is it like to live in a small town? And what is the culture like? And um, you know, finding all of these touch points and then just making sure that they get inserted there. Everyone in my book works at the same place because there's only one place in town to work. And that's something that a lot of people um, ha have clued into and said, that, that was exactly like my town. We all went to the same high school. We grew up and we all worked at the same factory. And so, you know, doing your research is the way to get this done. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic because uh, this is a themed mostly towards science fiction and fantasy, our podcast is. And a lot of times when we're writing science fiction and fantasy, we are writing very out there sort of things, new cultures, um, new races, and all of these things. And in a lot of ways, that's easier, much easier, than writing a familiar culture that you're not part of. Um, because when I write a weird fantasy race, I can't get it wrong. No one can stand up and say, well, I lived there, and guess what, Mr. Sanderson? Um, <laughs> then I would, I would say, you obviously live in a land of delusion. You should be reading Dan's books. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean... That, I hope you do say that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do, all the time. Um, but that's actually, in some ways, people ask me about research and doing research for my books. The big dirty secret is I hate doing research, and so I make stuff up, and I write books where I can make stuff up, so I don't have to do all this hard work. <laughs> and it is hard work um, to, to get this right. Um, Mary? Well, one thing that I was thinking about um, that, that I really particularly liked in Zoo City was that um, you don't depict it as a homogenous culture. And that's one of the places that I think a lot of people fall down when they're trying to write another culture is that they go from just one source. And, and it's about showing a breadth of humanity, a, a wide swath uh, because not everybody is the same. Like um, Star Trek drives me, you know, mm -hmm. the Star Trek yeah. alien race, everybody in the alien race has exactly the same viewpoint. I really yeah. want to see the Klingon belly dancer. You know yeah, what I Klingon, mean? Yeah. yeah, or even something I do too, simple. but for very different reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, there, you, you see this in fantasy all the time where every dwarf ever written is exactly like Gimli. Um, and then that's why I was so delighted uh, a few months ago to hear Tracy Hickman talk about a book he had written that was kind of set in this very kind of fantasy world, but the dwarf in his town just wanted to be a dancer and wanted someone to dance with him at the town hall parties. And, and that was, that, that's, that's the most original dwarf ever written since Gimli because it wasn't, you know, this monoculture idea. And so the principles we're talking about of writing in another culture can apply to any genre fiction you're writing as well. Well, I actually have an interesting story about that, which is that I, I hired my friend Zukiso Wana, who's an amazing South African writer. She's won several prizes. Um, and I hired her to be my cultural editor. I said, listen, can you just read this book and make sure that I've got it right? Mm. So she read it, and she came back with like you know pages and pages of notes, including stuff on Johannesburg, which is a melting pot culture. It's not homogenous at all. It's an amazing city. Um, including stuff like, oh no, you know, Zinzi goes downstairs and she buys a Stuyvesant. She would never buy a Stuyvesant. The, the cigarette you buy on the streets in Johannesburg is a Remington Gold. And I'm like, oh great, fantastic, I'll write that down. And I got to the end of her notes and I was like, and I phoned her and I was like, Zukiswa, you haven't answered my main question. And she was like, well, what's your main question? And I'm like, is Zinzi black enough? <laughs> and she laughed at me because she said, you know, what is black enough? There are so many different ways of being black. And that is not to say that race and culture and gender and sexuality are not really big, important parts of who we are. But ultimately, we're all human. And if you build a character, you have to factor all those things in because they are lenses and it's a way of experiencing the world and it shapes who you are. But it is not all of who you are. 
So what she turned around and said to me was like, okay, don't worry if she's black enough, worry if she's zinzi enough, and don't worry, you're fine. I think that's fantastic advice. In fact, that's, when we, we talk about, um, we, we've done podcasts about writing the opposite gender and things like that, and we keep coming back to this idea that if you try to write someone as the perfect version of whatever you're doing, you're, they're actually going to be unreal because you're going to mm -hmm. write to the average, and they're going to be this like average uninteresting person. Well, and I mean, averages, you're going to write to the stereotype yeah, gonna and they're going to the be offensive. But, well, not mm -hmm. even, even if they don't get offensive, not every person, like, how should we say, none of us fulfill every attribute of what we are, we are maybe stereotyped or we're, we're expected to be. That's okay. That's what makes us real. The average person in the world has fewer than two arms, right? Because if you pull the average, you know, someone out there has less than, fewer than two arms. So the average is actually no, not really what, an, uh, what a person is. And when you write to the average, suddenly what you're going to get is you're going to get this thing that even if it's true in any one given aspect, nobody yeah. out there doesn't deviate in some way. Nobody doesn't act, you know, I mean, I've got, I've got Moshe, my editor. He's pretty Jewish. He's, he's pretty Jewish, as Jewish people go. But you know what? He... He's got so many weird deviations that every one of us have. And that's what I think what we're getting at is make them a character first. And certainly they should have some of the things from their culture that are common in their culture because that's, you know. But they shouldn't have every one. They should be deviant in some way. One question that I wanted to ask was um, when you were doing the research, I think that's one area that is difficult. I, I also have just finished a novel in which my main character is a young African-American woman and spent a year researching it before I started in. So I'm curious about when you were approaching research, what sort of materials did you, did you dive into? I read a lot of books by um, black South African writers, mm -hmm. um, and especially kind of because I, I wanted Zinzi's background to be very authentic. So I read memoirs by people like Fred Kamalo about growing up in KwaZulu Natal and during the politics of the 80s. Um, I also did a lot of research actually going into Hillbrow, which is the inner city slum where Zoo City is set. And I went with a fixer, and I, I just walked around and I talked to people. You went with a, a what? Uh, sorry, a fixer. It's a it's some, a facilitator for a journalist. They're a security guard slash translator hmm. um, slash person who knows the neighborhood really really well. Uh, because Hillbrow is quite a dangerous area, but uh, I think it's it's what we forget is that it's also some place people live. And I think that's what shows like The Wire do so effectively is they put a human face to to tragedy and to issues that we are so fatigued with. Fixer, you say. I think I just found a new mercenary for the company. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm this was research. Yes. yes. <laughs> What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We, we, we get our research by stealing like thieves from the people on our podcast. Um, okay, um, we're going to go ahead and do uh, two books of the week this week. Uh, we're actually going to have um, we're going to have Mary talk about Zoo City instead. Dan's actually read Moxie Land, but we want to talk about Zoo City because this is the one that the podcast is about. So tell us why Zoo City is awesome. It's not on Audible yet, but, it, but you can go buy it in the bookstore. So yes, why is it awesome? You can read it on paper. Yes. One of the things that I, I personally loved about it was, in fact, that it had a protagonist who was not yet another young white heroine. Um, the other thing that I loved about it was the, uh, the the magical conceit, which is that when you have done something terrible, you you get a um, basically a soul animal is not the word she uses, but it's it's this familiar that stays with you, oh, and wow. it's it's fascinating magical conceit. Cool. So you're marked. It's like a scarlet letter because you have wow. this animal. And you have no choice about what the animal is. Oh, that's awesome. And that it's is way awesome. It's incredibly awesome. And it's this the whole book is this very gritty um, mystery. And she does not pull any punches. I, I have to tell you okay. um, that this is this is a dark and brutal book at times, but there are also moments of just unbelievable tenderness and joy in it. It's a wonderful book. Can't recommend it enough. Okay. Um, and, and Lauren, we're going to let you actually promo a book for Audible because um, we want to promo a book that people can go download. So you were going to talk about Fangland? Vampires get so tedious and overdone. I think Twilight has done so much harm. But there is a wonderful book I read a little while ago called Fangland by John Marks. And it takes the Dracula myth and it, re- it retells it in contemporary society. It takes Mina and recasts her as a, a 60 Minutes producer, and she goes to Romania to investigate a crime lord. And it is so hard-hitting and wonderful. It's, it's really intelligent, and what it is actually about is human atrocity. It's about genocide, and, and Dracula kind of is the manifestation of all the terrible evil that we do to ourselves and to each other. And it's, it's just a smart, devastating... Very kind of high concept book. I loved it. Okay. So excellent. head on out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can listen to Fangland, uh, download a free or start a free trial membership, download Fangland, listen to it for free on the recommendation of the inimitable Lauren Bucus. Um, or we, if you're yeah. listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, Deep in our archives, it's entirely possible that Zooland is also Zoo available. City. Zoo, City. Zoo, City Zoo City or Moxieland are available. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll let you know when they're out. We'll keep an eye on it because uh, they are being recorded. They're just not out yet, and you might as well go look and see if it's there. Okay, so let's, let's keep going on this concept um, with the, the writing other cultures and, and doing it the... the oh, I, just, I had somebody come up to my booth today and say, Mr. Taylor... You've never actually been a mercenary, right? (laughs) (laughs) Highest praise I can possibly get. Right. And he proceeded to regale me with story after story of, uh, uh, you know, his dealings with actual mercenaries back in the 70s and the 80s before it was, you know, legal for an American citizen to work as a mercenary overseas. Um, And 
and yeah, it's a culture. It's its own. It's its own society. And and how did I get it right? I don't really know. I researched a lot of military stuff, but what I came back to was we are all people. We all have, uh, you know, we all have appetites. We all have passions. We all do dumb stuff. We all do smart stuff. We flub our lines. We get our lines exactly right. Hi, Dan. Hey. Um, <laughs> I'm not that smart. Yeah, we, we totally didn't cut out a part of this podcast. No. Uh, no, we never do that. It never so, happens because we never do anything wrong. Yeah. But the research, I, I think the, the way I got it right, besides being incredibly lucky, was taking the research and wedding it to an understanding of just people and building interesting characters who felt right. Okay. Um, well, I, I actually, did you have something to say on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a journalist for a very, very long mm -hmm. time, and that gave me so much exposure to the world. It was like a backstage pass to the world. And I would spend a lot of time in the townships, and I would interview everyone from electricity cable thieves to homeless sex workers through to, you know, very high-up politicians staying in six-star guest houses. And I, I like to think that that research and exposure not just to society but to people and different kinds of people really informs my writing. Excellent. Um, I have like one last question. This has been itching in my mind this entire podcast, um, which we kind of touched on. But again, I like to get down and say, how do you do this? I want to ask, how do you not overdo it? We mentioned making people a stereotype, but it seems like one way you could do this wrong is make the entire book about that culture, if that makes sense. Rather than telling a story set in the culture, making the book all about the culture, and you feels like you could go overboard, way overboard, to the whole book just becomes kind of comical. How do you avoid doing that? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think, I think I'm in, at a big advantage because I'm writing about my country and okay. to a certain extent my culture, or certainly, you know, like culture I interact with on a daily basis. And I have friends who are black. I know that's a terrible cliche in the U.S. Um, and my, I have a half-brother who's black. Um, okay. So, it, it, you know, I feel like I've really had some kind of insight and that I'm actually just writing about people I know. Okay, Mary. Um, I actually ran into this with uh, the, the first outline draft of the, the book I'm working on now, and I ran it past David Anthony Durham, who was the Campbell winner two years ago. Uh -huh. um, and one of the things that he said was that you need to give them something else to care about. Something else is at stake. The story is about something else. The, their culture is the world that they live in. And that's not, it's like my my story is not about being a white woman, mm -hmm. you know, my, my own personal right. narrative. It is about um, having to run to the far end of the convention center to get extension cords <laughs> yeah. because people forgot them for this podcast. But it, it's giving them something that is at stake that has nothing to do right. with their culture. And then watching the ways that that interacts, those two things come into conflict with each other. There's actually a, a really great um, essay I read online. I actually forgot who wrote it, but you can look it up. And it was um, about Smurfs and dogs and cats. It was by, I think it was by Max Barry, was it? Okay, yeah, that sounds right, yeah. Um, with the idea being, and you can just go read this, I don't have time to repeat it all, and I shouldn't, he wrote it really well, but the idea being that if you make the other character, whether they're the protagonist or not, if you make the other character unique only because they are the other, Mm -hmm. then suddenly they lose all sense of identity. And the idea is, you know, Smurfette, you've got all these Smurfs that are cool because of something that they are, you know, one is brainy, one is this, and something unique about them. The girl is unique because she's a girl. Yeah. And that is a terrible cliche, but it, it falls into what we do naturally when we write the other. You know, we write, well, and they're the black guy. 
um, and these sorts of things. And when someone is unique only but because of being the other, you really run into this trouble. And so that would be a suggestion I would look at. Read that essay, think about that concept. Um, we are out of time, but um, Lauren, here's something we do to guests, and I'm gonna do it to you. Oh, um, yes, I know, but we're gonna ask you for a writing prompt, if you can think of one. And you just have to come up with something that people could um, write a story about, just ask them a question or some concept, make them, make them do. Take some aspect of your neighborhood and twist it around, the same kind of way that District 9 twisted uh, a suburb of Soweto around. Okay, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast, and thank you all for listening. You're out of excuses, now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 